Can you believe this all started with cats on the internet? Of course I do. Like the internet <laughs> is made of cats. And so if anything spawns from it, it will be the children of the kitties. Absolutely. <laughs> cats and the internet go together like, you know, Hi, Carmen. Hi, Frida. <laughs> What are we getting into today? Today we are going to sit down with one of Cuba's very first NFT artists, Gabriel Guerra Biancini. But first, what is an NFT? An NFT is a non-fungible token. So for your education, fungible means that something is tradable for something else. So money, like the US dollar and even cryptocurrency, are fungible. One dollar is always equal to another dollar. One Bitcoin is always equal to another Bitcoin. If you take your dollars to the marketplace, you can buy very many things with dollars and everyone agrees to use dollars for the trading of goods and services. To be non-fungible is to be lacking that. NFTs are non-fungible tokens because you can't go and trade an one NFT for another NFT. You can only acquire an NFT by purchasing it with cryptocurrency. Specifically, NFTs live on the Ethereum blockchain, which is a distributed public lender that records transactions. So we are here talking about cryptocurrency, blockchain, and a couple of different currencies, right? Mm -hmm. So... Let's take a step back and say that NFTs emerged from this whole ecosystem of cryptocurrency, but it isn't a currency in itself, right? It can be bought with cryptocurrency. Correct. Yep. And so why did this all start with cats? Because the first NFTs were literally cute little pictures of cartoon cats. Oh, I feel like I remember seeing that and it being just yeah. like, I was thinking like, what? What is this? What is this ridiculous thing? I thought it was just like some other ridiculous thing on the internet where you like add value to something that has no value. Fast forward and here we are and we're going to end up talking about what it has meant and what it is meaning for artists in Cuba. An NFT, again, is a non-fungible token. It can be artwork. It can be GIFs, videos, virtual stuff music and more video game skins even tweets music yeah, yeah 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 so basically if something is digital and you mint it in an nft marketplace it becomes an nft right yep and when you do that you can assign it a value in terms of crypto so it can be worth one ethereum it can be worth half an ethereum it can be worth 0 0.02578 Ethereum. This value is very ethereal. Ether <laughs> eth is that the word? Oh my that god. That would be ephemeral. Ephemeral. Oh my god. <laughs> It's in the ether. Okay, this value is in the ether. Can you tell me an example of how much one Ethereum can be worth? Like, let's say in dollars, because that's a currency we might be a little more familiar with. Yeah, so... Ethereum is a cryptocurrency. Probably the most popular cryptocurrency is Bitcoin, and probably the next runner-up is Dogecoin and Ethereum. As of right this moment, and I'm saying that because this changes literally from one minute to the next, but as of right now, one Ethereum is currently trading at $2,857.70. Yeah, so it is quite a lot if you end up selling your art for one Ethereum. Exactly. Well, 
it changes over time. Yeah. So I wanted to actually come up with a quick little hypothetical. So let's say I, you know, I make a piece of artwork and it's digital art and I sell it to you, Carmen, Mm -hmm. for half an Ethereum. First of all, is there any way to know that I own that artwork? Second of all, can you keep selling it to other folks? And what happens there? When you buy an NFT, you are essentially buying a piece of code on a blockchain. And that can get confusing because what you're seeing is a piece of digital art or a piece of digital work in front of you. That thing has been assigned to that piece of code. And that is in and of itself, it's tokenization, it's validation, or it's verification. So you own properties to that piece of digital work, and you therefore own that token because you paid for it. And so you can turn around and sell it, but you can only sell it once because you only have one of it. So you only bought one, if that makes sense. And when you go off and you sell it, the artist can receive royalties, which is a very unique part of all of this because traditionally or an an artist sells a physical piece of work they don't usually get royalties it's a one-time lump sum deal and after that if it keeps changing hands they don't see any more money for it so this is a really simplified explanation of nfts this entire metaverse and cryptocurrencies and if you're interested in learning more or if you think it's really cool i highly encourage you to go do your own research and learn more about it if you didn't know this about me i work at the intersection of finance and media and i also moonlight as an oil painter so my little heart is absolutely thrilled right now to be able to chat with gabriel guerra bianchini he is coming to us straight from la habana in cuba he's using like 11 VPNs because that's (laughs) just how it is. Um, So we're really happy. And Gabriel, how are you? Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Happy to connect with you from the island. (laughs) We are so, so happy to connect with you too. We'd love to start by getting to know you a bit more. Tell us more about your history. I born in Cuba in 1984. Half of my family come from Italy and Switzerland, and the other half of my family come from La Santa Clara, from right from another provincia de Cuba. So Carmen! Really well. That's where Carmen is from, yeah. So my father comes from there, and my grandmother, you know, all my father's family. At the moment I got 18 years, I decided to, to leave the country to go to, to Spain. I understood that I had a passport. That was something that a lot of people was uh, looking for, you know, the opportunity to fly. I was living my dreams because I love adventure and it was incredible. It gave me confidence to understand that I can begin from zero at any place at any moment. And it's funny because it's there where I bought my first camera and I discovered that I was good in something. At that moment, I met a place called Asociación Cultural Yemayá. I started to go there because Cuban culture was the main street of this place. All musicians, any kind of musician from Cuba, when they go to play in Europe, all of them, they went to this place, to Asociación Cultural Yemaya, and always just to have fun and play. And, you know, they had a little place for concert, really small, but the energy was so Cuban. And I went with my camera. I started photographing these concerts. And everything started there. After some time, they started calling me. 
and telling me, man, we're going to have a concert some, uh, here. Please come to make photos. So for the first time, my photography was opening me the doors to know these amazing artists and to share with them and photograph them. And I find out that photography was something else for me too. It's like one day I look at myself and I said, man, I, when I started photography, I didn't start photography to do this 24-7. I want to do something else. I was drawing in a little book that I have ideas of photos that I wanted to create. But all the ingredients of these draws were in Cuba. That day I find out that I wanted to come back to Cuba to make these draws real photography so that's the reason after 12 years in europe that was the main reason i said one day to my friends there most of them cubans that were living in europe for 20 years for 15 years when i told them okay i'm coming back to cuba <laughs> none of them understood anything they made they prepared a meeting for me <laughs> oh my god. And they an intervention. intervention. Yes. They, <laughs> no, they prepared a meeting for me and they one day they called me, hey, come. I went there and they were so serious. <laughs> and they look at me. <laughs> and you're like, I thought we were gonna eat cheese and drink yes, wine, guys. They were like uh, really explained to They're us. Like Gabriel Gabriel, un momentico. <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly there. They were like, okay, this is crazy, but man, please. What the hell are you doing? Why are you going to come back to Cuba after 12 years living in Europe? And I didn't have the words to explain it. It's difficult to explain that to Cubans that quit Cuba, that have their family and their life for 20, 15 years in another country, and they never, never, never going to think about coming back to live in Cuba yeah. again. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why doesn't anybody want to come back to Cuba? We have to understand that this government... It's a difficult government, really difficult to understand. I don't even understand. And also, there are many people that had really horrible stories. You know, like so many artists that couldn't express themselves in Cuba because their art from one day to another was received like something bad from the government. So this artist was never allowed to do nothing else. Like completely, they, they took him out from the cultural life or just because being gay or just because think different politically, all the things are horrible, horrible. Mm -hmm. I would never agree with that. I know my, the story of Cuba. I understand that my government did so bad to so many people. I quit my country because of adventure, because I wanted to leave, because I wanted to be alone and know what other countries. So I didn't quit for political reason. That is really important for taking a decision like that. You know, like coming back. Even though I live the period special, and I remember that so well. But again, I was a child. I was living in a building that had 25 floors. And I was living in the 18th floor during a period special. That means that we didn't have light mm -hmm. and we didn't have water. I remember my father taking buckets every day, going down 18 floors, filling the, the buckets with water. I'm going up 18 floors <laughs> and all my family. Total, total. 
Crazy, crazy. I remember living this. I remember my mom, how tired she was. I remember how difficult. The reason I wanted to come back is always because I always hear my little voice inside. This voice gave me happiness all my life. That little voice told me, you have to go to Cuba. The funny thing is that one year after coming back to Cuba, these photos were my first series in fine art photography that opened me the doors of galleries and museums. One of these series right now is part of the permanent collection of a museum in Switzerland. Congratulations. <laughs> it's That's yeah, awesome. It's, but it's crazy when you think about that. I came back also because it's, it was 2014. Obama and Raul starting to take in good relation, we're going to say, between Cuba and U.S. exactly that year. So things seem to be kind of changing in that exactly. direction. Exactly. Well, it sounds like you became a photographer in Spain, but you became an artist in Cuba. Tell us a little bit about how you became involved with the whole NFT thing. What does it mean for you? We heard about the stories about the sale of people. You know, these artists that worked for 13 years and sold an NFT on Christie's for $69 million. That was in all the press worldwide. For those of you who don't know who Beeple is, he is an American digital artist and he's incredibly prolific. And he made history recently when he sold a piece as an NFT for $69.3 million. He is on Instagram as at Beeple underscore crap. Beeple crap. <laughs> Beeple crap. <laughs> yep. Anyway, back to the story. I remember at that moment I was using a lot Clubhouse. Clubhouse has been a liberation because in Cuba we are everything is closed. And in Clubhouse, I'm meeting a lot of people, making a lot of networking, meeting a lot of artists. So this is great. I love Clubhouse. So when I started listening in these clubs, how to do it, I understood that it was not that difficult, that these steps I can do it from Cuba. What are the steps? Uh, the first steps is like, Having an uh, e-wallet. The second thing is opening an account in any platform to sell NFT, any marketplace. Like OpenSea, you have to buy a little bit of Ethereum, like uh, at least 150 or $200 in Ethereum. So you can pay the gas, that is the tax you have to pay to mint, to public a, a work, so you can sell it. So basically, you need to set up a crypto wallet. Yeah. And you need to also have an account on a platform that will sell your NFT. Marketplace, Then yeah. with a uh -huh, marketplace. Then you take your money, your regular money. Yeah. Maybe in this case, we're talking about US dollars. Yeah. And then with that, yeah. you go to your e-wallet and you buy the cryptocurrency, which in this case is Ethereum. Exactly. Then you take that Ethereum, go to the NFT marketplace yes. and you pay the fee to be exactly. able to put up art so that then you can sell it for more Ethereum. Exactly. I, I remember you can do this, but there was a catch, right? Yeah. It wasn't that easy for you. <laughs> so we'd love to hear about that. You know, it's funny. In any little thing you can do on the internet, in any place of the world, not in any place, but you know, USA, for example, remember there is always a catch if you do it from Cuba. <laughs> always, uh -huh. always something hidden. But you have to enter and do it to understand what is it. So it happens to be the same. I did all the steps. 
But when I wanted to have Ethereum to, to publish my NFT, I find out that I can't. The first reason is you need a, <laughs> a Visa card or any one card to buy Ethereum. And the only person I called at this moment was my brother that lives in Norway right now. So I called him and I told him, man, I need you to buy Ethereum for me. Please. Oh my God. Yeah. And he's like, are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? He was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but right now he's investing on, <laughs> on cryptocurrencies. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> this is the way. This is the future. Yeah, I opened the doors for many, many people in my family and friends. <laughs> so he tried to, but he moved. He's a U.S. citizen, but he moved to Norway. And because of this move, when he went to Coinbase to buy Ethereum, he got problems too. I was like, uh, oh man, I need this now. So I was in a club. Uh. Yeah, I, this is funny. I was in a clubhouse in a room talking about the experience I have in from Cuba, not even say I need Ethereum. I didn't say that because I'm, I, I'm a really proud person. I started talking about uh, sharing my experience from Cuba. Okay, we need to use VPN for some marketplace. Some marketplace doesn't work in Cuba. And yeah, right now I'm not meeting uh, yet because I'm waiting for Ethereum. And there was a guy that was listening to me. This guy is 23 years old and he lives in, in New York. So this guy called me. He told me, hey man, I'm going to call you uh, on Instagram. So he called me on Instagram. We met for the first time. <laughs> so this guy was like, we started meeting each other, just talking about our life. And he said at one moment to another, he said, okay, I'm going to pay you your gas. And I was like, what? Yeah, I'm going to pay you your gas. Wow. I want you to meet your work right now. And I say, man, first I started saying no. Then he just was like, hey, I'm not going to discuss this. Please go open your account, blah, blah, blah. And Go, we're going to meet right now. And I was like, okay, we do it. I'm going to give you the money back. Okay, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. He was like, don't worry about it. So we, <laughs> yeah, he sent me the Ethereum from his wallet to my wallet. And I could meet my first work, which was Hotel Havana. And when I told him, man, at the moment I have sell, I, I insisted, I'm going to send you the money back. And he said something really beautiful. I will never forget this guy. In fact, we are good friends right now. And he will come to Cuba and he will stay in my house. He told me, okay, what I want you to do is to keep the chain of favors. I did this for you and I'm happy to do this for you. At that moment, I understood that community and help in this NFT world is so important. So NFTs has not only came to change the life for so many artists in the world, but it's also came to create a new floor where we can start a new different wave of creating art. That is like having a great community, helping each other, eliminate gatekeepers. Could you tell us a little bit of what it's normally like in Cuba to be an artist, make art, and then perhaps sell it? I'm an independent artist so my experience maybe is not the same as an artist that went to the school to the ISA Instituto Superior del Arte or La ENA eh, La Escuela Nacional de Arte so I didn't went to those schools so I cannot tell you the story how is it when you study this and you become part of this cultural institution in Cuba as an independent artist art in Cuba depends completely completely from foreign people. The, the art market in Cuba 
their collectors are completely foreign people. There is no Cuban collectors. We depend on people from other countries. To be allowed to work with galleries in Cuba, you have to have an ID that is called Registro del Creador. This number allowed you to work with galleries. And most of the galleries in Cuba are government galleries. They are part of a government institution. They are not private. The galleries from the government are not allowed to sell art. I don't know how to explain this because even me, I don't understand it at all. These galleries are not allowed to sell to a collector directly. So these collectors, what I maybe what I, they do is getting in touch with the artists and the gallery. Someone in the gallery takes some money in the middle of all that. I feel like this is all black market. So basically what NFTs have done is offer an opportunity for artists to directly sell to the outside world and actually find an arena to be able to transact that doesn't involve the government and that doesn't involve galleries. Not only that, it also allows artists that are not part of a cultural institution from the government to be allowed to sell. There are many artists that have uh, a very, how you say, arte contest contestatario, art that is not approved by the government, is not allowed to be presented at any exhibition at all. So it's, exactly. it, these artists, now they have an open door, an open window to connect to the world without these filters in the middle. Another problem here is COVID. So COVID made it that there was no more tourism in Cuba for a while. So basically the system of trying to sell art via the legal ways or the proper ways in Cuba basically shut down. As you said, we've been a year and three months already or four months already without non-tourists, any tourists. We don't have collectors. We, all the institution, cultural institutions are closed. We are not selling at all. NFTs are opening for the first time, are pushing the artists in Cuba to pay attention to internet. A lot of great artists in Cuba doesn't have social medias. They doesn't even have a profile there. Internet in Cuba is, is something like really uh, young. We have internet for five years now. We had internet in some parks and squares. We have to go there with our phones or computers and connect in these parts, like public places where everyone can mm -hmm. see you and everyone can listen to your conversation on internet. From a year and a half or two years, I think so, we have internet in our phones. So that means we are allowed to be connected more privately. And that means that artists are making, now they are taking care of creating their presence in internet. So you have a particular political situation. You have a very strict process to do, let's say, mainstream art in Cuba. We have COVID coming into everything and shutting things down. And we also have a very recent development in access to internet. And then add to that a way to transact maybe with NFTs or with being present on social media, changing so so much but i want to take it back to when you when you said that you were going to pass the favor forward oh yes when i entered to the nft when i published i started to sharing all this in my social medias like facebook for example where i have like a, a lot of 
artist friends and I have a lot of cultural institution following me too. I started sharing every step I was doing. Okay, I could meet thanks to this guy. Okay, I did this in this platform. Okay, I, I got the tuning from here. Every day, like I can tell you more than seven, eight, ten people calling me, asking me for information. How are you doing that? At the moment I received the Ethereum, I started paying from all these artists that started to write me and asking me information how to enter. I made in my head a little list of artists that I knew that were going to fit really well in the NFT. So I started with mostly 3D artists. Imagine how important it is for a 3D artist that before NFT was allowed to give services but he was not allowed to sell art. These artists were not allowed to put their art in an exhibition because it's 3D. Like 3D digital art. Why can't 3D artists put their work in an exhibition? I mean, my initial thought was, okay, is it because it's digital art and can't be physically placed in an exhibition? But no, it kind but of like, can't people be. People have computers right? and TVs and stuff. If I had to take a good wild guess, I think it would have to be because this is an art form that isn't present within the pipeline of becoming an artist, you know, like going to school or studying and then being uh -huh, recognized uh -huh. and getting a plantilla and all that stuff. So 3D digital artists cannot exhibit their art in Cuba. Therefore, there's really not an easy way to connect to collectors. So previously they couldn't sell. And now it looks like with NFTs, they might be able to sell. So Gabriel, what happened next? As the moment I got the Ethereum, I started to pay the gas, this tax that you have to pay to this artist. I help them in every step. I send them from my wallet to their wallet, the Ethereum necessary to pay the gas. I pay the gas for like, I think six artists already. I spend almost one Ethereum in paying gas to another artist and also collecting their art <laughs> because I, I became a collector. I cannot touch that Ethereum right now. I'm in Cuba. You need to have an account on Coinbase or one of these wallets where you are allowed to sell your Ethereum or cryptocurrency and convert this in fiat money, like dollar or euro or whatever. So I'm in yeah. Cuba and I cannot do that. Why can't you do it? Oh, because you need a social security from U.S. or you need to live in another country and have a social security. So at the moment you want to convert your cryptocurrency in money, you have to pay taxes. So that happens in every country. So when you are in a country where this tax uh, machine works perfectly, like in U.S. or in Europe, you are allowed to do it. But in Cuba, we don't have these kind of things. <laughs> so we are not allowed to convert. So why I'm pushing Cuban artists to enter this place if they cannot touch the money? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> yes. Okay. I have, I have some answers. I have some answers. First, this maybe will change in the future. That's the first thing. Okay. Second, yeah. even though you win Ethereum and you keep it in your wallet, Ethereum is going up all time. So it's, a, it's a, a way of growing your money. They can have cryptocurrency thanks to the art that is also important too. And third, there is always a solution for Cubans. <laughs> we find solutions. Like what? For example, having a cousin or a brother or a friend in another country that can make us this favor. We can transfer 
the Ethereum to their wallet. They can convert it on fiat. And at the moment they receive the taxes, we can pay the taxes. So that's why we are interested in being part of this too. Not because only the money, also because this is a, uh, an art revolution will be in the story of the art in the future. They will talk about this moment and we have to be there too. How do you think this is going to change Cuba? Like earlier when we spoke, you said that you wish you could tokenize the whole country. Oh, because we can live in a decentralized world without governments and without this kind of crazy problems that, that change our life day to day. We are tired of that. We are tired of that. I want my country to be free as it is, okay? Or not, well, not really as it is because it's not really free. But we want a country independent. We are people and we have dreams like everyone. And we don't want to be all time dependent of ideologies. We understand the government has their ideologies. We understand other governments have their ideologies. I understand all that. I'm tired that these governments take the life of the people because of their ideologies. I believe in life. I believe in humans. I believe in, in the great connection and the great opportunity we have. We are tired of living like this for 60 years because we have to be, I don't know, socialist or whatever. That is, that is sorry for saying this, but that is bullshit. Oh, no, we, we're an explicit podcast. Great, you can say bullshit. Thank you. That is so bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> we want to be happy. We want to be free. We want to have people that are agree are not agree, leaving the same possibilities, the same opportunities. They deserve it. We don't mm -hmm. come to the world, we don't come to life to be thinking in one way. That is completely wrong. That is horrible to think. And that's why I'm not agree with this. I'm not agree with what is happening in my country. I'm not agree at all, even though I love my country, but I do not agree. I will never defend that. In my career, because being in Cuba, I've been inside these political things sometimes. And I, every time I did that, I find out that it was a mistake. So from some years to now, the government is doing really bad. And mostly with artists. Really bad. There is a lot of people in Cuba and artists that are not agree with the government at all. They are like really fighting every day to, to be heard. Most of the people come from San Isidro, Movimiento San Isidro. San Isidro is a neighborhood in Havana Vieja that is right next to my neighborhood. So if I go down from my house and I walk like 500 meters I, uh, to the south, I will reach San Isidro neighborhood. So these artists like Luis Manuel Otero Alcantara and other artists, they live there in San Isidro and they have this movement that is fighting for changing the government. And I'm not completely agree with them, but I'm agree that they think different. I'm completely agree with that. So these guys, they get all united in, in the house of Luis Manuel Otero Alcantara last year, around November. And they made doing a, a, a strike, mm -hmm. una huelga. Yeah, hunger strike. Hunger strike. I think it was a hunger strike, yeah. And they were inside the house. So the government one day, and I was in my house, and we re I remember that day, like if it is right now, 26th November, I see that my internet is cut off. 
because that is a practice that the government is using a lot right now. When there is something happening, they cut internet so people cannot do live and cannot uh, publish videos. So they cut internet. At the moment they cut internet, I said to myself, then there's something happening in San Isidro right now. They entered to the house by the force and they took all these people out and they took them to the house or to prison or not prison, but to the police station. I don't know. They just separated them. What I'm not agreed to is that the government used the forces with these people and the government has to learn how to hear these people. So we were like kind of so angry because also they caught internet that we went to Ministerio de Cultura, Culture Minister, mm -hmm. the day after, 27 November. And there were around more than 500 artists outside of the Ministerio de Cultura. We were asking for a solution, a solution that respect the independent artist, freedom of expression, respect people that think different. That was the main reason that 27 November happened, because we don't want the government to use the force. So we were outside the Ministerio de Cultura. It was really I don't know how to say it was beautiful, but it was okay. We were surrounded by so many policemen and these policemen are dressing like a civil guy. They are not dressing uniforms. Mm -hmm. So it's more afraid because you don't know who is and who is not, you know? Mm -hmm. And we were all sitting there, people playing music, people are asking for a, a meeting so a lot of artists were there asking also for the minister ministro to be there and receive them. But the minister wasn't there and they never received people at the moment. Some moment in the night, they opened the door and they entered like 20 something people inside. These people were selected, some of them from San Isidro, some of them from like Tania Bruguera. They did a meeting and at the end of the meeting, it was like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., I don't remember. They promised that we can go back to our house without any problem. They said that they will keep this meeting coming. I wasn't in the first meeting. I was outside with the artists. We were feeling like there is something really important happening because it's the first time in the history that something this huge happened. So we were thinking that something was really going to change. So two days later, the minister canceled all this meeting with the San Isidro, Movimiento San Isidro. And people from Movimiento San Isidro say that the government canceled the, the meeting and the government say that they canceled the meeting. Four days or five days later, I received a call from the, um, la directora del Centro Nacional de Artes Plásticas, la CENAP. So the director of the National Center of Plastic Arts. Yeah, she called me to meet. I go, I was thinking the worst. I was thinking they were going to, you know, like, pull me out from, I don't know, from whatever, from the Registro del Creador, which I got from one year ago. She asked me to be present in a meeting with the government, with the minister, that there were going to be some artists there and they were going to finally do the meeting. And I was like, oh, wow, it's funny that you call me. I'm not an activista and I'm not the biggest artist in Cuba, so I don't understand too well why they call me. But I was happy with the proposition at that moment. Because I asked her, in this meeting, are we going to be allowed to say anything we want? And she said, yes, yes, definitely, definitely. And I was like, okay, if I have the opportunity to be in front of the minister and tell him everything is there doing wrong, I would do it. Definitely, I would take it. 
So that's what I did. When I get to the meeting, I see that most of the artists that were, were not from Movimiento San Isidro. There were a lot of cameras from the government. We were not allowed to film or they took out our telephones. So that was already something mm, a little bit strange, right? So the meetings uh, was seven hours, seven hours sitting there, everyone talking, seven hours, I swear. And all the things that were said inside that meeting were really, really strong things. Like, can you picture, this is like a real, a little theater inside the Ministerio, where in the table you see El Ministro de Cultura, you see the Vice Minister, and you see Abel Prieto, that I don't have idea what position he has in, in the government. <laughs> Abel Prieto is an advisor to Raúl Castro. There were these three or four people sitting there from the government, and in the theater, in the seats, there were like 20-something or 30 artists or 40 artists. I don't remember the number. And for seven hours, all these artists, they have a turn to speak. And each artist talked to these ministers. Like, for example, we are tired. We are tired of this situation. We are tired of uh, not understanding people that think different. When an artist thinks different, you talk bad about him on the TV. We are tired that you put police people outside their houses to don't let them go out. We are tired of using force. We are tired that you cut internet every time you do something like illegal, you know, because it's illegal. So all these things were said and they listened. That's true. But when I went out from there, I found out that that was not the dialogue because they didn't answer at all. When we go out, I find out that they were selling this meeting on the press, on the national press. They were putting this meeting as we finally got the meetings with the artists, but only with the artists that doesn't have their art uh, comprometido, compromised with, with the U.S., with the Imperio. When I go out from there and I found out that, you can imagine how many messages I have in my phone and not beautiful messages <laughs> from people in Facebook, you know, that follow my work and everything that were like, what the fuck are you doing there? Why you went there and everything. For me, I was like, then I had the opportunity to say all this to the government. And I say, it because I remember the first thing I said to the minister when I took the mic, that I was like really, really nervous. The first thing I said to him, where in the constitution is written that you can put police guys outside the house of the artists or press media and don't let them go out from the house. That is not written on the constitution. You cannot do that. That was my first word. So it's funny how they sell this to the rest of the world, the government, through the press. And from that day, I understood that I cannot be in the middle of, the, of all that, at least not participate when the minister, ministerio called me. Nothing from what we said in that minute changer. Nothing. They keep doing exactly the same. I lost my faith in the ministerio completely. I don't have faith in a ministry that do that. I don't have faith in a government that do these kind of things. I really want my country to change. So it sounds like you came in in good faith and in a sense you were betrayed. You... 
came into this meeting to represent a lot of the same interests of the larger group of artists that were there at that protest. But after the meeting, the government went around and said that you all, the independent artists who came to the meeting, were not compromised with the U.S. government or with Imperium. And the rest of the artists, the ones that weren't there, a.k.a. Movimiento San Isidro artists, were. You were put in a bad position. Two, two of the artists that I paid the gas for, they have a really contestatory art. That is a way I can help. I'm not sure that NFTs can help to change the reality in Cuba for what I'm talking about is about the government, but it's going to help to artists to find their freedom and their independence without depending on the government that says if you are allowed or not allowed to do something. For the people that can hear this, this is really important for Cuban artists. We are completely separated from the world, not only because the sea, because we are on island, because of social political stuff. Right now, we don't have collectors coming. Everything is closed. This is a way that you can help artists and collect their art. There are amazing artists right now entering the space, the NFT space. There, there are more than 25 or 30 artists already there. Fabrica de Artes, uh, so what they did is create this project called NFT.FAC. FAC because Fabrica de Arte Cubano. So NFT.FAC right now, if you go to OpenSea.io, one of the biggest marketplaces on NFTs, and you tap on the search, you tap NFT fact, NFT FAC, you will find this profile. They launched an open call for artists to subscribe their art. The, the most important thing is that these artists have never minted before. Minted is uh, they have never published an NFT before and they have no mm -hmm. way to do it. So this is a bridge that opened the possibility to Cuban artists to be present in the NFT space without paying anything. And with the background of this amazing place of Fabrica de Arte. And we are publishing them one artist per week. And now they are allowed to be collected by other people in the world. Please support this kind of work, this kind of uh, projects. This is a way of helping Cuban artists. It's also a way to collect beautiful art and have it in your house. Even if it's digital art, some of them you can print it and you can have it in your house. These kind of markets are also closed markets. You know, they move yeah. inside a real small group that have all the power, all the power. And yeah, I'm telling you this because I'm living it. I, I, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm doing like... You're doing amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We usually wrap up the podcast with un cubanismo, which is un dicho cubano. In Cuba, we said, el que no tiene de Congo, tiene de Carabalí. This is beautiful. It's because our, our roots come from Africa. And I mix it with the Aborigines Cubano and the Spanish. But in Cuba, we know everyone has something that comes from Africa. So that's why he says, si no tienes de Congo, if Congo, you know Congo in Africa, yeah, you, at, at least you have the Carabalí. Carabalí is another etnia that arrived to Cuba from Africa. 
Thank you so much for speaking with us today. We had a wonderful time with we you, really Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> and you we so hope much. to continue this beautiful friendship and continue talking more about Cuban art and Cuba in its future. Thank you so much. This is just the beginning. Carmen, it was so interesting to get insight straight from the island from an artist in Cuba who has been using NFTs as a vehicle for not just selling their own art, but for building community and spreading the wealth. Another thing is Gabriel comes from a place of privilege, but thankfully uses that. So he has an iPhone and is able to get on Clubhouse. He has more than enough resources and is able to pass the Ethereum forward. It's not necessarily easy for a Cuban, as you can tell, to get into this space. But let's see what, what continues to come of it. Well, what continues to come of it is that Take It Easy is making an NFT. Yes, you heard that right. We, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are making an NFT and we are going to put it up for sale on OpenSea if you are interested in purchasing or looking at it or sharing about it so that can reach somebody who is interested and able to purchase. We will post the details on that in the show notes. But what we are doing with the proceeds is joining Gabriel in helping other artists to mint their work and get their work out there. This is one way that you can help Cuban artists. Kudos to Jesse Palace, who is actually drawing, you know, who's like making the art, our graphic designer. Thank you so, so much to you and to our patrons. Jason, Susan, Sarah, Salia, Ryan, Peter, Lauren, Kristen, Kellis, Kaylee, Karina, Josh, Jose, Jesse, Yvette, Derek, D, Daniel, Christine, Catherine, Andy, and Amaudi. We love you so, so much. You're amazing. If you'd like to reach us on social media, we are at Take It Easy Pod. To email us, we are takeiteasypod at gmail.com. Please buy our NFT. Please support Cuban artists. We love you. Okay, take it easy. Bye. Take it easy, my friend. <laughs> yeah, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. Sold, sold, sold. Take it easy, folks. America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.